Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 128 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. I am Anthony, and we have back with us again, Brian Argo. Brian is back with us, and Michael's back with us this week, too. Yay, Michael! Surprise! <laughs> Surprise, everybody. <laughs> I'm surprised, even. It's a little earlier than I thought we would be getting back, so. Yeah, well, but, uh, the baby boy came a little bit earlier than you thought, too. He did. He came about 10 days early, so he was like, I'm I'm busting out of this joint, and um, <laughs> he was he, he was ready to roll, so. Mom was not upset about that, either, from what. Not at all. Not at all, so. But, uh. We are doing really good and uh, just very thankful and very blessed and uh, very happy to have him here with us. So that's awesome. Well, for the last two weeks, uh, you have been treated to myself and Brian uh, talking about the Old Testament. And because Hayes decided to come a few days early, um, Michael is able to make it in for the New Testament conversation that we're going to have this week and next week. Um, and this is, again, this is setting up our 66 books. We're going through all 66 books of the Bible one week at a time. We're going to, uh, pace this thing out and have a good time with it and just really talk about how we as Christians can read the Bible better. We can study the Bible better. And then through that, we can understand the Bible better. Um, because a knowledge of God's word is, is where, a good foundation for doctrine, for Christian worldview, uh, for all of this stuff that we talk about on this podcast um, really comes in from understanding God's word. So I think we're pretty excited to to dive into this tonight. We're going to dive into the New Testament. Um, but before we dive in, we're going to drink a little bit of beer. Yes, yeah, we are. Yep. Yeah, we are. Brian, Brian has upgraded. So the last couple of weeks, he's been on water. He was on water <laughs> duty. He's upgraded this week. He's doing tea. So we figure if we have Brian on about six or seven more times, we might get him to a beer. <laughs> and yeah. If, if I can bear the indigestion this late in the day. <laughs> and bring yeah. out of an EA mug. Oh, nice. Yeah. EA Ecclesia Academy. That is uh that's our church's discipleship group there that teaches the Bible, which Brian does help teach. So there you go. Uh, well, Michael, what are you going to drink tonight? So tonight I have from the Left Nut Brewing Company based in Gainesville, Georgia. So yes, they are like right here. Which I have a funny story. They're changing about that. their name. Yes, they're gonna they're changing their name <laughs> to Right Nut. No, no, it's uh that would, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Be that would be awesome. Gosh, what what was it they were changing it to? It's liquid something. Uh, it's still LNB. It's like yeah, Liquid Nation brewing or something like, like that. Something like that. It doesn't matter. It'll all, forever and always be left nut. Um, <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> but I have from uh, LNB in Gainesville, I have the Bridge to Nowhere IPA. Um, and if you've been in Gainesville, Georgia, you know about our somewhat famous Bridge to Nowhere. It's a pedestrian bridge that for the longest time, um, you cross the street from like the downtown square. It went over a road and there was nothing on the other side for it to go to. Like you went into I'm like an to... empty into like an empty parking lot. Oh, basically. That's not over that there big by, wide bridge, is it? Yes, that's oh, that's, nice. that's the bridge. <laughs> now there's actually like buildings and they're putting restaurants and stuff over on the other side. So it will won't be the bridge to nowhere forever. But um, so yeah, bridge to nowhere IPA. Um Really, I the only reason I got it is so I could tell the story about the British nowhere. <laughs> um, the can doesn't have any information, uh, six points, uh, 6.5% ABV, um, brewed in Gainesville, Georgia. Um, 
and yeah, there's there's not really a whole lot going on with the uh, the can here. So not not much. To, <laughs> it's going to be an IPA, and I'm probably not going to like it that much. But like I said, I just wanted to tell the Bridge to Nowhere story. Just, so yeah, that's amazing. I never knew that bridge was called the Bridge to Nowhere. I lived there for two years and never knew that. I always knew the yep. bridge though because it's that white bridge. I was like, oh, it's a cool looking bridge. But it's a really it was a really pretty bridge for the longest time that had no destination at all. So <laughs> that's amazing. So that's what I'm drinking. Anthony, what do you got? So tonight, uh, this is this is coming from a recommendation from one of the guys over at um, Cottage Hill Package. Um, this, this is gonna be, this might be bad. So from Tox Brewing Incorporate, no, Tox Brewing Company, it's called Inky Cap, and it has a picture of a frog on the front. And I'm assuming that's some kind of frog, Inky Frog or whatever. This is an imperial stout aged with pistachio nuts, vanilla beans, and cacao nips. And it comes in at 13% ABV. That's legit. And I'm I'm a little scared that this is going to be terribly disgusting. <laughs> but we're going to find out. I, I only bought one, so I only have the one to drink. So if it's terrible, okay. then I'm, I don't feel bad. Do you have something good in your fridge in case things go south that you can get quickly okay i'm sure i can find something <laughs> i'm sure i can find something that will that will help me get this that because i i just i have no idea he he was like he's like you should try this it's really strong and i was like okay and you're gonna find out you're gonna find out later this week that he has like a special <laughs> deal with them that he gets like a nickel for every sale he or might. something well he got a nickel off of me because i only bought one <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. So there's nothing on the can. I don't know anything about this beer, and I didn't look it up. the The place is in uh, North Haven, Connecticut, though. I can tell you that much. Tox Brewing Company is the is the name hmm. of it. So interesting. Yep, Inky Cat. Well, we're gonna find out if it's gonna be terrible or not, and we're by cracking them open and drinking them. So let's roll. Let's do it. Here we go. Three, two, one, crack. It doesn't smell like anything. But you it have a can like, of air. But it looks like motor oil coming out. Nice. Oh my gosh. Look <laughs> at that. That's that's a that is stouting. I mean, yeah. It it's it is a stout by color for sure. I mean there's no chocolate smell. Like I expected at least a chocolate smell. Well, it's the nibs. It's not necessarily yeah. chocolate. Every time I say cacao nibs, I think about Steven Zerker. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Brian knows Steven. So uh, if you've ever smelled an IPA, you know what mine smells like. Your smells like every IPA ever? Yep. Okay. So I'm getting a little bit of flavor now. I don't know. This this is either going to be really good or really bad. That's I'm just I'm just going to leave it at that for right now. That's usually how it goes, but so <laughs> Well, let's turn them up and let's uh, let's sip them. Bottoms, Bottoms up. Bottoms up. I don't know what to think about that. How was your IPA? <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> I had like three different flavors hit at different times. It was really weird. I'm looking back at the can to see if it shows anything. Um, they misspelled bitterness on the can. That's funny. <laughs> How they, they spell left, it? They left Bitterness. off an S. They left off an S. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody didn't spell check that one. Hey, um, left nut. Maybe that's bitter. why they're changing their name because their proofreader got fired. <laughs> <laughs> bitter knees. <laughs> bitter knees. Um, I mean, it's it's like every other IPA on the face of the planet, dude. Uh, kind of bitter. <laughs> Um, not really any sweet flavor is just kind of middle of the road. Kind of lame. <laughs> it's not lame necessarily. It kind of tastes like um this is gonna sound weird. But I'm getting like an almost Arnold Palmery flavor profile, like a okay. little like like mostly sour, so like mostly lemonade and not so much yeah. sweet tea. But there's a little bit of that there, so it's a little different than like your regular IPA that just tastes like uh, hose water. Um, <laughs> IPAs are gross. So, um, and and I'm not like 
huge fan of IPAs to begin with. Um, so uh, I'll give man, I'll give it three Luthers. It's it's not great. It's not terrible. It's it's just beer. It's just some you're, IPA. You're never buying it again, though. No, probably not. But I mean, I supported the local brewery, and there you go. Told the story about the bridge. So that's hashtag buy local. Well, hashtag buy local. <laughs> Three Luthers, not Lutherans. What the heck? Okay. All right. So what about yours? All right. So this thing is really interesting. Um, for for the record, I do not like pistachios. So that's part of the reason I wasn't sure if I was going to like this or not. What is with us getting stuff we know we don't like? <laughs> I don't know. We're gluttons for punishment, I think. <laughs> so pistachios, vanilla beans, and cacao nibs. Um. Not three things I think I would ever put together, but the combination has has made a like super rich, chocolatey. It almost tastes like an espresso, is what it like, mm. like mm. a uh, an espresso with a shot of vanilla in it. Okay, mm. it's really really nice. rich. So you're not gonna yeah you're not gonna like drink this. It's a sipper. Mm-hmm. Like I might be doing good to actually make it through this beer tonight. Did you say it was a coffee stout? Well, it just or says it, imperial stout. Oh, imperial, imperial. That's right. Okay. So it doesn't say anything. I mean, maybe vanilla beans, but no. yeah, no coffee listed as an ingredient. But, but your I teeth mean, are it's, brown. Yeah, it's it, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely dark, and it is. Oh my gosh, it's rich. It's almost too rich. Um, it's not terrible flavor, but it's not good flavor either. Like I, I would, or I wouldn't call it great. It's mediocre. Um, this is this is three Luthers at best. It's three Luthers at best. Um, it's just I don't know. It's, the more I drink it, the the like the richer it gets, and the less I actually want to drink it. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm, I may be I may be pouring it out and getting something else for the for the remainder of the night, but That's it's fair. just it's just not it's not really that good. Um, sorry, Mister Guy, who recommended this one to me from Kajo Package, but I don't like your taste in beer. So it's thirteen percent though. So I'm I mean I've I've had like three ounces. I've basically had an entire beer at this point. So, <laughs> but yeah, three Luthers on the uh, on the inky cap. Yeah, Inky Cap from Tox Brewing Company. That's the best. That's the best I got. Three losers. So now we're gonna talk. We're gonna dive into some New Testament stuff with Brian, and we're gonna come back after we take a short break, and we're gonna dive into this, and we're gonna spend a couple of weeks talking about how we can read the New Testament. So stick around. Welcome back from that musical break. We are back with Brian and Michael and myself, and we are here to overview the New Testament. The last couple of weeks, we've done Old Testament stuff, and this week we're this week and next week we're going to focus on the New Testament. Uh, and so we want to talk a little bit about the different styles of writing in the New Testament because they're just like the Old Testament. There's a few different styles in the New Testament. There's a few different styles and each style has its own. I don't know if you'd really call it a hermeneutic. You like you don't want to take a different approach, but you kind of apply the same approach, but in a different way. Would you agree with that, that Brian? You, Michael? Anybody that you're, that you're applying a similar hermeneutic to the New Testament as you would to the Old, but just with kind of adjusted um, principles of interpretation? Is that what yeah. You're saying? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're different genres. It's yes, yeah, different genres. You're you're writing in you move from a historical kind of narrative and historical records in the old Testament to a, it it is a historical narrative, especially when you're talking about like the gospels and acts, but it's more of an instructional narrative Hmm. in the new Testament because you have Paul writing 
a lot of epistles, yeah. which are giving instructions to the foundation of the church. Yeah. And so it's a little different hermeneutic as far as the methods in which you apply it or the methods in which you interpret it. Um, but you also have to remember at the same time that Paul drew heavily on the Old Testament. And, you know, Paul's Paul is pulling from the Old Testament a lot of this stuff, and, and he's referencing things in the Old Testament to make his point in the New Testament. So there is that tie between the two. So... But when we talk about the New Testament, we're going to talk really, I'm just going to kind of list out each literary, I guess you call it genre or literary style that's found in the New Testament. And, and then we're just going to kind of walk through, through each one of these and give an, give an overview, not really talk about, about direct application of specific passages, more or less a, here's a, here's a way to approach these, these type of readings. Okay. And so, in, in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, which are largely narrative. They're stories about the, the life of Jesus. Each one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, is, is written from a certain perspective to a certain type of people. You got Matthew that's written more towards the Jewish crowd. You got Luke that's written more towards the Gentile crowd. Um, and, and then you've got John that kind of stands off by himself. Um, he really He really focuses on like the last seven days of Jesus's life. I mean, it's, I mean, he gives you like a 30,000 foot view in one chapter or two chapters, and then immediately dives into, okay, all of this stuff happens and it happens in the last seven days of Jesus's life. So he's focused on the cross and he even tells you in John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells you, Hey, I'm writing these things so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And so John is a little different uh, in the gospel, but then you move into something like the Acts, which is not really a letter. It's not really a gospel. It's kind of this hybrid in between. And then that rolls into Romans and a lot of what Paul wrote, which is going to be the epistles and letters. Those share a lot of similarities. Um, you might could give them two different categories um, because you got like Romans is definitely different from first Timothy. Um, first Timothy is written to an individual whereas Roman is Romans is written to the church in Rome. And so you have, you have a lot of different uh, audiences, I guess would probably be the main difference between an epistle and a letter. Um, and, and then you have a lot of times a epistle was, was geared toward one specific thing that had happened, whereas a letter might just be more instructive or more informative um, kind of more general, I guess, if you will. And then, of course, the one that everybody loves to talk about, the the big uh, ending of the New Testament is Revelation. You've got the uh, apocalypse, um, all of the things, the ten-headed dragons and the seven-headed woman and the uh, there's all of the stuff that... that Bloody hail. I mean, <laughs> it's got it all. And then, I mean, you've got the beast and all this kind of crazy stuff. Everything happens in Revelation. Um, and then you realize it was all a dream and a vision. You're like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's all of the major types that that's kind of all of the genres that you're going to be talking about when it comes to the new Testament, anything, anything you feel like needs to be added right there as far as types go, anything? No, I mean, I think that, uh, it will get to when we get to the individual, um, genres but uh, i think just about acts you were talking earlier about what kind of book is it um mm -hmm. and you know it is a narrative it is a historical account and the reason i mean in the ancient world josephus's historical records were they had an address at the beginning the same way as mm -hmm. luke and and he was a historian writing a historical account but it was still it was still customary to address it you know to a significant exalted person, you know? Right. So, so I think, yeah, it's still strictly, um, even though it's addressed to someone, um, and we could talk about that in a second, but, uh, I think they, yeah, I think that from a bird's eye view, that's a really good summary of the yeah. various genres in the New Testament. So let's, uh, let's take it, let's dive right into the gospels. We have, we have the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you have John. That's kind of the, the outlier there. Um, when you talk about, you know, we say the word synoptic gospels, and, and I wonder if most people even know what synoptic means, 
Um, it's literally just just means summary of events. It's it's literally a singing together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and when, yeah. When you talk about the synoptic gospels, you're talking about I, I, the movie. I always think about when I think about the synoptic gospels is the movie Vantage Point, um, because you you see the same story told from three different people in that or it's multiple different people in that movie but you like you get a different little piece of the story each time you see it and you know it's the same event and it happens the same way every single time but you when you see it from a different perspective it kind of changes the way that you would think about one person's vantage point over another person's vantage point, mm-hmm. right yeah and when you blend them all together you get a really good summary of the event that actually happened yeah which i I think didn't like i think somebody got murdered in that movie maybe i shouldn't have used maybe that's not the best movie to tell sound it sounded like a great analogy until the murder point but it was was a really somebody dies in the gospels (laughs) there you Um, go (laughs) so i mean when you when you think about and and a lot of times this is where textual critics will attack the gospels because they'll say well, this disagrees here and this disagrees here. So they obviously don't know what they're talking about. Um, when the reality is that you have, you know, Matthew telling the story from a from a Jewish perspective to a Jewish audience, and he's really focusing on the Jewish aspect of what Jesus came to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And then on the very flip side of that, you have Luke, who's more of a Gentile. Um, I mean, Luke's a physician and he's writing to a Gentile audience and he's focusing more on the totality of the story rather than very specific details, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that Matthew would be pointing out. And so it's not that Matthew and Luke are different as much as they are Mm complementary. And, and when you put them together and you read the same story from Matthew and you read the same story from Luke, you end up with a fuller picture of what the event, you know, pick ones feeding the 5,000, um, you know, you end up with a, a fuller picture of what that the Bible is trying to teach you through that story. Right. Well, you know? and the, on that, like one of the best tools I think for studying the gospels is, you, you know, you've seen this, that that gray book or grayish blue synopsis of the gospels mm-hmm. where it puts them in the four columns and it, it shows where, where they line up, where they're different. And then right. you see like pages and pages of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you see nothing from John. Yeah. And then you see pages and pages of John, but nothing from the other gospels. <laughs> um, and it is interesting that uh, how they're different, yet how they're similar and their, mm-hmm. pro- their priorities were different because they were trying to speak to the needs of their audience, but also mm-hmm. to the needs mm-hmm. of the day, answering misconceptions about who Jesus was, like John. Right. Um, is he divine or not? Uh, and uh, in case you weren't, in case you weren't clear on this before, he is. And um, so, th- so things like I mean, even the pace, like Mark's gospel, yeah. you see the word immediately over and mm-hmm. over again, and it disappears when you get to chapter fourteen, and that's when the crucifixion narrative begins. Yeah, and so it's the narrative completely slows down. He rushes through, doesn't even mention Jesus's birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets through this text immediately, immediately. And then finally gets to the crucifixion. Everything slows down. Yeah. Um, and so Mark's pace seems quick until he slows down to that moment that event. Mm-hmm. And then briefly the resurrection. Um, and then you got this sense of everything moving outward from there. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're called the evangelists for a reason. They're mm-hmm. proclaiming the good news about Jesus. All of them were doing that. Um, and they have a stated more or less a stated purpose or a commission in each of them. Um, one book that was really interesting uh, in seminary that I read, uh, Richard Balkum edited this book. It's called the gospel for all Christian or the gospels for all Christians in his essay or his chapter in it um, uh, for whom were the gospels written. He mm-hmm. kind of challenges this idea that the gospel writers strictly had an audience in mind yeah. They had they had you know a specific audience, but at the same time they had purpose that went way wider because right. of those because of this sense of great commission. All of them have that sense in it that's going mm-hmm. well well beyond the people that they're addressing. And every gospel right. has that has that um, focus that's going beyond you know the people in Rome or um, yeah. you know or, or or whoever or 
know, Christian mm-hmm. or Jewish Christians, whomever. Um, so, I mean, it's helpful to keep that in mind, but one of that tool, the synopsis of the gospels, I think is a very helpful uh, hermeneutical tool yeah. um, when just seeing how they agree and how they don't necessarily disagree, mm-hmm. but they're, they're making choices as far as how they arrange the material, you know, redact material right. to, to emphasize certain things. Right. Know? Um, like vantage points. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Cause when you, I mean, when you think about, um, I think, I think the biggest, I'm trying to remember exactly how each one words it. It's been a while since I've, I've reviewed this, but like the resurrection, I think Matthew focuses on, is it Martha coming to the, coming to the tomb first? And then, and then Luke emphasizes somebody else. But the, the reality is that, all the gospel writers mention the same ladies. They just, they mention them maybe in different orders or yeah. they put an emphasis on a very specific lady or a very specific person. Yeah. And, and again, like the, the point is not that Matthew got it right when he emphasized Martha or Luke got it right when he emphasized Mary or whatever it was. The, the point is that each one is telling the story from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And when you put that whole story together, you get that, that, that bigger picture of, this was people coming to the tomb because they knew that Jesus was going to be resurrected. You know, they believed in, that Jesus was going to be resurrected. And so they were, they're coming to see basically the empty tomb. Right. And so when we, when we think about the gospels and we think about how we can read them, um, a couple of, of key points that, that Fee and Stuart pointed out was, uh, and I, I thought this was really interesting, was to, to know the historical context, first of all. Yes, you want to understand that. You want to know in the, in the scene, and, and, and they, they kind of repeat this over and over and over again, and I, and I appreciated it because they're saying you're reaching into the first century and you're understanding it in a first century context in your hermeneutic. That's, that's your, your goal to understand it. But you want to bring that to your current uh, current context, and you want to appropriately you want to parallel bring that into your appropriate context because that is how they they really define exegesis is is taking something that was first century or before when we we're talking about the Old Testament, bringing it into the current context and saying, "Here's how it applies. Here's how it applied back then. Here's how they understood it." And here's how that concept applies to us today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and we've talked a lot about exegesis and and doing exegesis versus eisegesis. And I think that's important for for everybody to really hear and understand what the difference is between exegesis and eisegesis. I know Michael and I have said, you know, exegesis is saying what the text says, and then eisegesis is importing I into the text. Mm-hmm. Um and and so that that's a that's a a quippy way i guess to to put it but the the better definition i think and what what fee and stewart really bring out in this book is that you you're seeking to understand it in its original context the way an original reader would have read it first that's the most important thing and then once you've got that once you've grasped that you bring that into your current modern day how can we apply that principle to our lives today? And that's where your application process begins. And I think that's when you think historically like that, you're getting into that first century, but then they talk about thinking horizontally and vertically. And, and they say, you know, you look at a specific um, story, pick a story and you say, it's, it's, it's good to know all the historical details surrounding that, specific event so that you can understand that event in its context the way it was meant to be understood by the reader the original reader not 21st century american readers you know i i said it last week and i'll say it again 100% of the bible is not meant for americans yeah. <laughs> um but but when we understand the way they would have understood it and then we can parallel that to to our new to our current context that's when we begin to really understand and apply the Bible hermeneutically speaking, you know, understanding the Bible so that we can correctly apply their life. And we don't end up in something like the prosperity gospel, or um, we don't end up in pick your, you know, heresy that you want to pick today, Arianism, uh, whatever you, whatever you want to, whatever your pet 
theology is for that day. You don't end up there because you're you're really seeking to understand the way the reader would have understood it, and you bring it to the current day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we're thinking horizontally. We're thinking vertically. And the other big thing about the Gospels, and this is where a lot of the division actually happens, I think, a lot of times, is on the parables. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the parables. Give us, and I know you're going to know this, Brian, so give us just like a quick rundown of the way Jesus would have taught the parables and the way that people would have understood the parables. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I've, so there, I've read a lot about parables and some good, some bad. Um, and at the end of the day, there's still a bit of, can be a bit of a puzzle, but I think there are some things that we can get more or less right about it. Um, I think that first of all, um, it is a side, a way to get the truth in sideways. I think that Eugene Peterson, the way he kind of took Emily Dixon's quote, tell all the truth, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that, Peterson used to say that's kind of what Jesus is doing. He's getting the truth in a different way, in a concealed way. And it's not always clear what he meant. Yeah. Like the parable of the sower. Um, and uh, it had to be explained, you know, when he said it's been hidden from the other people. But I'm going to tell you guys what, what this actually means. Um, and sometimes you could. I mean, sometimes the teaching was clear about, like, ju- justification, you know, the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, the Pharisee said, I'm glad, thank you, God. I'm not like, you know, the sinners and not like these other people, I'm definitely not like this tax collector. Um, and then the tax collector wouldn't even look up. He's beating his breast. But the thing is, and then, so Luke tells the purpose. Jesus told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes there's a simple stated purpose. Sometimes this, but I think, uh, we want to think one thing that's helpful is to think simply because you want to like take the symbolism or whatever's in that, and the parables to the nth degree and like yeah. drop micro analyze them. Um, when sometimes it's just take what the obvious lesson is like the kingdom of God being like leaven and a lot of dough or being like uh, something growing in the ground. You know, not how the power um, it, it just means that it's like a, uh, an unperceived power that's, you know, you don't see it, but it's growing, it's developing, it's it's not your own work. And then the work of the kingdom is happening in the same way as the work of God happening in this, you don't even know it. Yeah. So, so things like that sometimes are, well, they seem obvious to us. People who are listening to his parables are kind of like, well, that's neat. What's that about? You know? <laughs> um, and that's who, and Jesus, so Jesus was, so in one sense, they were kind of cloaked and concealed, but in another sense, they were made so simple that children could get the obvious meaning of them. Mm-hmm. Um And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, but the one thing you don't want to do is I don't, I think a helpful thing is just not to microanalyze everything in the parable and say, this is this, you know, or this like an, like an allegory. Yep. Um, uh, that's, I think that's dangerous. Um, but, but try to, I think that Fee and Stewart give a lot of help there. Um, Mm -hmm. try to go with the, clear, simple, and then you limit the meaning of the parable. You know, you don't open it up because it can mean a whole lot of different things. And you're like, wait, that's not consistent. That just like an analogy, you know, you yeah. can break an analogy down until it's useless. But if, <laughs> but if you keep the lesson of the analogy very simple and straightforward, then it is useful. But if you keep right. pursuing it, then you're going to find all the inconsistent scenes that's going to fall apart. Yeah. Um, if you overanalyze anything, you're, you're bound to tear it apart. You know, if yeah. you, if you, if you want to, if you try to break everything down into its minutia and split hairs on everything, you know, a, a lot. And I mean, a lot of times that's where we get doctrinal divide from is, is one person wants to interpret it one way and the other person wants to split hairs and interpret it just a little bit differently than the other guy, right? you know, and you end up, with four different camps, you know, your millennials, your post millennials, your pre millennials, and your, you know, don't care millennials. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brian and I were having a little discussion about millennialism later earlier in the week. <laughs> yeah. 
But it never ceases to entertain. That, that no, <laughs> we'll save that for Revelation. That's co- that's yeah. coming down the pipe. Oh my but, gosh! But uh, but you know, I I, re- I honestly think that's what a lot of people do when they talk about parables is they try to say, well, Jesus meant this, and they try to tie it to something very very specific. Um, and that's they try to split hairs all the way to the point where it has to be about this certain thing. And and I mean, in reality, it's it's a it's a type of legalism because you're saying that mm-hmm. Jesus has to have meant this very specific thing and he couldn't have meant anything other than this very specific thing that I want to talk about. And and that's not at all the point, you know. The I think the one of the examples that that Fee and Stewart give is the example of the Good Samaritan. And you know we always try to focus on like the Pharisee and the religious guy and, and, and these, and, and those are, those are examples and they're part of the story, but it's not the point. The point was that Jesus said the Samaritan, and that was like a mind boggling idea back then. Mm. Um, And, and so instead of it being about the Pharisee passing him up and the religious guy passing up, you know, and then the Samaritan actually stopping it's instead of it being, you know, we and the goal is to say we should all be like the Samaritan, whether somebody is is like you or whether somebody is agrees with you. The goal is to show Christ to that person. You know, mm-hmm. the, the point is to show Christ to that person. And and even in a day when when people might look at you sideways because you're helping somebody who is not it's not expected. Yeah. And right. You know, that's where. That's where I think like the parables a lot of times get get a bad rap, I guess, um, you know, because people try mm-hmm. to use them for their own. Like you were talking about, they, they try to allegorize a parable so that it fits their purpose and their interpretation of what they want to chime right. in. Yeah. And that and that that's always dangerous, right? When you wield. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you try to wield it um, and take it out of context, really, you can't divorce um uh there's a bug flying around there there we go <laughs> um so uh so you can't you can't separate jesus's teaching from his person and his mm-hmm. work and you know we don't use jesus's teachings to kind of support our political views and you just what? You, um no <laughs> and, and that's and that's really easy to do on all sides you know yeah um mm-hmm. and but you if you detach that from his person and from his work and overall what he what he's there to do what he's there to teach what he stands for um mm-hmm. it's really easy to, to do that parables are kind of a you know uh, an easy thing to grab and just kind of throw at another person um mm-hmm. and it, but like for example, the one that always hits is Matthew eighteen, the parable of the two debtors. You know, yeah. the the one and Jesus uses that in another case, but for a di- completely different point mm-hmm. um, in Luke seven. But uh, but in Matthew eighteen, you have the two debtors, and he's saying um, that the one person just owes this crazy debt, and the king because he pleads with him, has pity on, takes pity on him, and then forgives him this massive debt, incomprehensible amount of money to you know a regular working man, and um, and then he goes out, finds the dude, owns him, owes him like a day's wage, chokes him and throws him in prison until he paid him back. Um, and then it's found out, right? And this guy mm-hmm. has to answer for it. And he's thrown in prison until he pays the last penny. But Jesus is making a point. Not so not he's not talking about actual dollar amounts. He's not talking about he's talking mm-hmm. about the principle of nobody will ever be in a position where somebody owes you more than you owe God. Yeah. And he, God has forgiven that debt. So in light of the whole gospel, I don't think you necessarily get that by just taking it out of the passage, but yeah. in light of the greater picture of the good news, the gospel of, of Jesus, his work and his person, mm-hmm. you do get that. And you say, I'm the dude with the bigger debt and nobody, I'm, I'm, I'm never having a right to strangle another person or hold their sins over the head um, yeah. because I have always been forgiven the greater debt. And the yeah. principle is forgive as God's forgiven you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I could take that to be kind of exacting or focus on, you know, how much the dollar amount is worth or think that, you know, um, I, I don't know, because we can get self-righteous about forgiveness. But the point is, we're all the person who's in the bigger debt. We're never yeah. the person mm-hmm. who owes the smaller debt. Ever. Right. Yep. That's good stuff, man. The parables are fun. The parables are a lot of fun. So. 
Well, let's move on. Let's talk about the next genre that we have, which is epistles and letters. Is it, is it, do you pronounce it epistle? I've always heard it pronounced epistle. Uh, how else would you? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> a pistol. A pistol. Yeah. Th- there's a T in there. That sounds like you're drawing it down with somebody. Um, <laughs> you might. <laughs> he's holding an epistle. I uh, when I was in high school, I had a English teacher that told me the word was often. O f t e n was often, and I said okay. no, it's often. She said no, it's often. I said then why did they put the T in there? She said it's silent. I was like, why is it silent? I was like, what's the rule that says that T is silent? <laughs> she didn't like me. I got to see in her class. Your teacher looked at you like, hey, l- listen here, you. <laughs> <laughs> My teachers did not like me. Asked so, too many questions. Uh, you're not wrong about that. So, so let's talk about epistles and letters. Let's uh, let's dive into to this one. Paul writes a lot of the epistles and letters in the New Testament. In fact, he wrote the vast majority of them, 13 of them to be exact. And there's really, I mean, we kind of already hinted at it when we were were setting all this up, but there's, there's a ton of similarities in epistles, and there's also a little bit of differences. Mm. Okay. So you have... Some letters and epistles are occasioned. I mean, I, th- I think about like First Corinthians. Okay, First Corinthians is more like a letter. But I mean, it's the letter to the Corinthians. It is letter, um, but it but it almost it was occasioned like an epistle would be. You know, there were things happening in the Corinthian church. People were acting weird. Um, there was a reason that Paul had to write a letter specifically to the Corinthians to address the things that he needed to address. And so you've got epistles and then you've got letters. And, you know, I've already mentioned the differences between like, you know, a Romans and a Timothy or something like that. And epistles would tend to be, like I just said, they would tend to be occasioned by an event or occasioned by, something happening in the church, whether it was like, um, you know, I'm trying to think like, um, they were the direct result of something happening. Yes. In the church that needed to be addressed. Yes. And you, you had to, the writer had to help the church understand something. And so that, that gives you a very specific context to what that letter is about and what that, or what that epistle is geared towards. Um, You know, I think about Galatians. Galatians is an epistle written to the church in Galatia, but it was really geared towards legalism. I mean, it was focused on the ways that we can combat that and and really can fight that. And um, there was, I I had my note in there earlier. Um, I was looking at one of the things they actually gave, which is a, a beautiful analogy for this podcast, is the stumbling block. Um, and now, and they said, you know, the stumbling block thing is not about somebody doing something freely and causing another person to stumble as much as it is about somebody doing something and trying to force another person to do something that Mm -hmm. they didn't want to do. That's where the stumbling block comes in. So, you know, let's, let's take the example of alcohol because we're the beers and Bible podcast. And let's say me going out in public. And sitting at a restaurant and having a beer, you know, the the argument from the the people who would say teetotalers, you know, you have to be a teetotaler, you can't consume alcohol at all, would say, well, if you're having a, a beer in public, then you're being a stumbling block to somebody else. No, I'm, I'm not being a stumbling block. And biblically, I'm not being a stumbling block. Now, if I go to a restaurant and I invite Brian to sit down with me and I know that Brian doesn't consume alcohol. And he said, you know what? It's, it's fine if you want to have one, but I'm not going to have one. I'm like, no, Brian, you definitely need to have one. You, and I'm pressuring Brian. Then I'm creating that stumbling block. Yeah. That's where, that's where that analogy comes in. And that's where that biblical application of stumbling block comes in. 
you're like, yeah, in that case, forcing liberty, right? I mean, yeah, you're just not maybe freed up. Uh, you're it's being like so re- stiff. Yeah. It's like reverse legalism. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> you're you're trying to force something on somebody else to do something that you want to have that you have conscience to do, but that person may not have conscience to do. You yeah. know, the same reason that Brian doesn't have the liberty to bind my conscience to say you can't drink alcohol. I don't have the liberty to bind Brian's conscience to say you have to drink alcohol. Right. You know, and that's a stance that we've held since day one is yeah. that we would never say it. We would never tell a believer you should, or you need to, but we're also not going to say you can't, if you want yeah. to. Right. If you want to come have a beer with us, we're down. Come on. <laughs> we're down. Yeah. And, and the, and the, in the context, like with Corinthians, you know, it was, it was tricky as well because it applied to, several things uh, uh, to whether or not to eat food that have been sacrificed to idols. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I imagine that would have been a pretty serious conflict internally yeah. for some, for some believers, you know, and, but to force them to say, you know, you have to do this to prove kind of your freedom from that, from that mm-hmm. way of thinking. Um, yeah. That would be to impose a, a stumbling block. But at the same time, if a person has a, has trouble in their conscience, like for example, I, I was pastoring in Northern New York. I knew I had recovering alcoholics in the church. Right. Um, and so I wouldn't take a mile. And I, was, I, I would normally, you know, have a drink every now and then have mm-hmm. a beer um, and enjoy it. Um, I felt like, you know, I couldn't really see myself doing that because I knowing what they're struggling with, mm-hmm. you know? So it's more just out of, um, love for them that I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't say, Oh, this is absolutely wrong. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I came to the first place church I ever served. I was there for about five years and the pastor's wife came to me one time and said, can you find for me in the Bible where it says you're not supposed to drink alcohol? I'm trying to prove a point to somebody else. And, uh, like she wanted me to kind of do the research and find <laughs> the verses that prohibit. And I was like, well, the Bible doesn't prohibit uh, consumption of alcohol. She's like, what? Um, like, so, so disappointed. <laughs> you sinner. Um, I was like, it's a little more complicated and yet simpler than that. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, and so that for us, I mean, I think that's, it's not real circles. I mean, and that's not, it's not really a big issue. I don't mm-hmm. think anymore. Um, it can be, uh, certainly can be among missionaries. I've seen that. Yeah. Um, but uh, we get into other issues, you know, what does biblical manhood look like? And then, you know, listen to this Mars Hill podcast recently, Ooh. biblical manhood only looks like this. And yeah. if you're not doing this, if you're not living this way, then you're not a biblical man. Yeah. Um, and therefore you get a whole generation of guys who are just totally confused about what it means to you know, lead a family to, and, and so this whole idea of even being gentle is thrown out as being sissy, even though it's yeah. part of the fruit of the spirit. Um, and uh, so things like that get confused. Mm-hmm. We kind of get this yeah. parodied version of godliness and it's really mm-hmm. just more cultural than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. That situation you were just talking about, Brian, where like you're, you have recovering alcoholics in your church and you know, like you're not going to partake. You're not going to drink with them around when them. they're yeah. around them. Yeah. Like, I think that just comes with awareness, right? Like that yeah. doesn't change. That doesn't change anything about your conscience or your convictions or anything. Mm-hmm you're not going to put them in a situation where they may be tempted to relapse or tempted right. to go down right. a road where they have already made a stand that they're not going back down. Yeah. Um, right. And yeah, that just comes with awareness. And we as believers need to be mature enough to see what's going on around us and not willingly do that, not willingly put our brothers and sisters in a weird spot. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, we can't like bind our conscience and convictions to what they're going through because right. sure. that's that's not that's not how we're called to live. No, it is not. So let's talk about reading reading the epistles. Okay. And and it's something that, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And I know this is going to this is just gonna shake the foundation of everybody who has ever read the Bible. But the chapters and the verses are not inspired by God. Are you sure they, about that? They, they were not original. Um, what? They're not King James. Um, 
But how do I? How do we write verses on our eye blacks under our na- under for, for football games? Oh, yeah. oh no! <laughs> he went there. He went uh, how, there. How do we do it? <laughs> well, I've, it, it it gets to the bigger point is is that you know, number one, we need to know scripture better. We need to know it without having to have references to it. You know. I love the story where it says, you know, Jesus opened the scroll and began to read. It's like he knew exactly where to go in the book of Isaiah when he was reading. And it was like, have you ever read Isaiah? <laughs> it's long. <laughs> it does help that he kind of helped write it. So, yeah, I mean, could you imagine being Jesus and being like, all right, y'all just bear with me for a minute. I got to get to the part where this is. <laughs> I mean, I think he just threw it open and let it roll down the aisle. Just, oh, that would be amazing. That's, that's how it's going to be in the Michael Bay version. Yes, the, it uh, is. Yes, it is. Yeah. But so when we talk about the chapters and verses are, are not inspired and, and we joke about it, but the whole point of that is we need to read scripture more than a chapter and a verse at a time. Mm-hmm. We need to read scripture, you know, sit down and read the entire book of Galatians or Ephesians, you know, start with a short one. You don't have to read a long one. Start with a short one. Read all of Galatians in one sitting. Read, and then then when you feel good about it, sit down and read Matthew from beginning to end in one sitting. You know, it might take you an hour or two, but is it worth it to really get the picture of what Matthew's trying to paint in his gospel? No. You know, reading Romans from beginning to end, is it really... I mean, we can really see Paul's argument begin to flow from chapters one to chapter two and three and how he's building the argument versus cherry picking, you know, 323 and, and 310 and saying, you know, well, this is the Roman road, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when you read a, a book of the Bible, when you read a text of the Bible from beginning to end, you really begin to understand it differently and you see the picture of what the writer is intending to communicate to the reader, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is kind of the point of everything that we're talking about tonight. How do we, how do we get a better biblical hermeneutic? How do we understand the Bible better? We read the Bible. Thank you for listening to episode number 128 of the beers and Bible podcast. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. You can find us on Facebook by searching beers and Bible podcast. And you can also email us at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. You can uh, reach out to us on any of those uh, platforms. If you have any questions about anything we've discussed, or if you have a beer that you would like for us to review on the podcast, and we would certainly love to hear from you and interact with our listeners. So until next week, we hope your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open, and we will see you later. Peace out. Peace out.